It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills, a Red Sox podcast. I'm Bill Corey in uh, downtown Providence, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch, Red Sox beat writer. Hey, Bill. Bill, how are we? We're good because uh, the Red Sox just completed a historic sweep of the New York Yankees over the weekend. Who'd have thunk? Definitely not me. Certainly not me either. Right. Uh, so as they head into this series uh, in Toronto, they are sitting once again um, uh, way ahead in the American League East. They are now nine games ahead of the Yankees. They are 79-34. and 34. Um, And it was quite the weekend in Fenway. Uh, started with a uh, career game from Steve Pierce and ended with a uh, you know fantastic comeback Sunday night. Yeah, if you were a Red Sox fan, uh, this series had it all for you. Um, Boston out hit them on Thursday night, out pitched them on Friday and Saturday, and then what happened Sunday was something that if you are a longtime Red Sox fan, and Bill, I know you are, sure. That's the type of game that the Yankees used to win against you. All the time. <laughs> you would throw that type of game away with right. a 4-1 lead in the ninth inning and your closer coming in. You would find a way to lose that game to the Yankees specifically. And this year, more and more, as I wrote for my story that ended up in Tuesday's journal because the game ended far too late. Right, and the lead was was spot on. To, it was a, it was a, on Monday. Yeah, it was it was representative of the season, right? This is this type of thing is happening often enough now with this particular Red Sox team where it can't be a coincidence anymore. Where there's a comeback or on nights that they don't pitch they hit or on nights that they don't hit they pitch or someone comes off the bench and plays his one game or second game of the week and goes 3 for 4. It's just an accumulation of things that make you believe that these guys, in fact, could be a little different. So, uh, so some of my takeaways from this series uh, were uh, David Price had a very uh, solid outing, I, I think, on uh, on Sunday night. Uh, I might quibble a little bit with Alex Cora's decision, not only to send him out for the seventh, but to keep him in there for uh, for the two batters that he faced. Um, uh, you know, obviously. Uh, it worked out okay because the Red Sox won the game, but uh, really it was it was a bit of a head scratcher for me first to see him go back out there and then to stay in for two batters. What what were you thinking at the time? Yeah, there was a lot to unpack from Sunday from the seventh inning on. Uh, let's start with Price, who, as you said, was very good. I thought considering his two previous outings against the Yankees, uh, the first one at Fenway Park early this year, he got through one inning and left. Uh, said he couldn't feel the ball in his hand. He was later diagnosed with the mild carpal tunnel. Um, his next outing against the Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball uh, in the Bronx gave up a career five home runs, lost the game 11-1, to was non-competitive from the beginning. Um, you look like he didn't even belong in the game. The other night, I thought he was very good. Uh, got through the first six innings scoreless, had a very good changeup in particular, uh, had New York hitters off balance for the most part. I didn't mind him starting the seventh. He was at 95 pitches. There was a left-handed hitter due up in Brett Gardner. Mm -hmm. So to go left-left, that's okay. Um, For me, once Gardner singled the right to lead off the inning, I probably would have gone and got David Price. Alex Cora opted to let him pitch to Austin Romine. I thought that was a mistake. Romine drew a walk. And at that point, you're bringing Heath Embry in with two guys on, including the go-ahead run. And 
I thought that was a little more difficult situation than it needed to be. And I, I you know, that's one of those things that was a legitimate second guess at the time. Yeah, and, and the optics, I think, made it look worse because of what happened in that inning. You know, uh, the Red Sox, I believe, were uh, leading one to nothing, and uh, the, in- the inning ended with them down either three to one or four to one. Four to one. Right. You know, what unfolded from there, obviously, was the. The worst at bat of the inning for me, if you're a Red Sox fan, is Shane Robinson's trying to bunt against Heath Hembry, and Heath Hembry walks him. Shane Robinson is trying to give you the first out of the inning, and you refuse to take it. Yeah, he keeps coming in and uh, in tight on him and up uh, up toward the head at, at him. And uh, he's trying to come high and tight yeah. because he doesn't want him to get the bunt on the ground. He wants him to pop it up, uh, which is the perfect scenario. He pops up the bunt, you get the first out. Aaron Hicks grounds into a double play, and the inning's over. They walk Robinson. They got the double play ball with Hicks. And Xander Bogarts boots it. The first fielding error he's made all year. He had five throwing errors previously, but the first ball on the ground that he has mishandled. I'm glad you... Uh, all I'm, season. I'm glad you... Um you clarified that because I heard that uh, or I read it somewhere and I thought that's not right but that's what it was right it was the first fielding errors he he yes. had he had thrown some balls away but he hadn't booted a ground ball it, it was a sharply hit ball yep. up the middle uh, and like Cora said after the game Bogarts maybe got a little bit ahead of himself he looked up to check where the runner was coming to second he wanted to turn the double play so badly he let the ball clank off his glove into center field it's two to one Giancarlo Stanton singles. It's three to one. Glaber Torres hits a sacrifice fly to center field. It's four to one. And the season high crowd at Fenway, it was late at that point. The game was played at a very slow pace with Price and Masahiro Tanaka. Some of the season high crowd started to filter out. You mm-hmm. got the feeling that it's four to one. The Red Sox hadn't done something like this in the previous three games of the series. Maybe it's just not going to be there now. Right, right. And, and the fact that they had already won the first three games, I think, you know, certainly would have cushioned the blow had the Red Sox uh, ended up losing that game. Uh, but what we saw in the last two innings of, of play was was remarkable. Uh, incredible. I mean, they had to have certain things go their way, obviously, and they did. But, uh, you know, still, they got guys on. They got timely hits when they when they needed to in those last two innings. Well, there were two things that happened for me. Uh, first, they needed a little help, and they got it from Araldis Chapman, who yep. walked three batters right. in the bottom of the ninth. The second thing for me, and, and I think it's something that Cora has looked at throughout a lot of the season and, and made the point that when the Red Sox offense is going well, they're putting the ball in play. They're not striking out very much. Now, Brock Holt and Andrew Benintendi both struck out in that inning. Chapman is a nightmare against left-handers. He, he's very, very tough to hit. Right. But the right-handed hitters for Boston either walked or put the ball in play. Uh, you saw it with J.D. Martinez. It's 4-1. to one. The bases are loaded. He swings first pitch because, like he said after the game, Chapman is the type of guy who could throw four pitches to the backstop and then could throw the next four pitches on the corners of the plate. Right. So don't sit around and wait very long. If you get a strikeout over, you need to swing. He singles to center. It's 4-3. Then Chapman throws a slider to Xander Bogarts, who hits a two-hopper to third. And Miguel Andujar just made a flat-footed throw to first that ended up short. Greg Bird couldn't pick it, and Jackie Bradley was alert and scored all the way from second. And by that point, when you get it to 4-4 to in the ninth inning, I don't think there was anyone in Fenway Park who believed that the Red Sox weren't going to go ahead and win that game. Right, absolutely. Momentum had definitely shifted. And, you know, just uh, as baseball goes, it, it, is, uh, it was apropos that the guy that hit that ground ball 
that uh, Andujar couldn't uh, handle was the same guy that booted the uh, the double play ball a couple of innings earlier in uh, in Bogarts. Yeah, no question. It, it was it was a nice bit of. Uh you know things coming full circle yeah. and then you know you you want to take that point even further the pitcher the Yankees bring in for the 10th inning was the pitcher who didn't record an out while facing seven batters on Thursday oh, wow. that was Jonathan Holder yeah. who allowed the Red Sox to come back from what was to that point their only deficit in the series right uh, they were down 4-2 when he came into the game on Thursday he left and it was 9 to 4 10 to 4 uh, you know the Red Sox went on to fifteen seven victory. Right. Saturday, uh, Sunday night, he gave it up too. And you see him come out of the bullpen. He's the last man. They'd already used Zach Britton. They'd already used Dallin Patances. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this guy can get three outs. Not in this spot. Right. Not after what happened the first game of the series. And sure enough, he gave it up. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that sort of capped off a, a tremendous uh, four-game series. Uh, let's go back a little bit uh, and touch upon uh, Rick Porcello's start, which I thought was obviously very good. One hitter, and I, <laughs> I got a kick out of the whole Jordan's furniture uh, uh, follow there. Where if you know if he hadn't give up, given up that one hit, there would have been a lot of happy people with free furniture that day. But still, he, what a game he threw that night, right? That, that question was from uh, Johnny Miller, the WBZ radio <laughs> legend. Who probably bought a, a sofa or something? And <laughs> he, Johnny might have been on the hook for a love seat. Right. Um, you know, he, he asked Rick Porcello. He said, uh, "How bad do you feel that you cost all of these fine people in New England uh, free furniture?" First of all, are they all fine people? Maybe criminals uh, buy furniture uh, too. You know, maybe so. not. But uh, you know, certainly Porcello cracked a smile and, and said, "Yeah, I'd like to apologize to those people." Uh, and then the next day in the clubhouse, Miller approached him again, and, and Porcello said, "You know, I think Jordan's at least so." me like a barca lounger or something like that because i saved them a lot of money <laughs> he did yeah. uh you know so he makes a good point and maybe you know he's angling for an endorsement deal out of this um he was outstanding on friday night uh, one hit it was a home run by Andujar um to lead off the third inning and then porcello retired the last 21 men he faced uh through 86 pitches in a complete game uh in a 4-1 victory and you just don't see that very often anymore you, you just don't see you know, Ron Renicki said this after the game, the Red Sox bench coach. The way that offenses are geared now, they grind out at bats, they foul pitches off, they take pitches. You just don't see a guy get through a game on 86 pitches. You, you think about Sunday night. Masahiro Tanaka needed 82 pitches to get through four innings. Right, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, that's, I won't say that's more typical, but that's closer to the pace that most starting pitchers work at now in terms of their pitch count. So to watch Rick Porcello do that to the Yankees, um, you know, using his defense, using all four pitches, um, you know, striking guys out on pitches to either side of the plate was very, very impressive. Absolutely. And it certainly, um, you know, uh, portends uh, well for the Red Sox here to have Porcello looking like that going into this uh, into the stretch run price looking the way he did against uh, the Yankees uh, and Nathan Ovaldi with another solid outing yeah Saturday uh, eight scoreless innings and you know it wasn't just the outing itself it was you know the the manner in which he just attacked them he uh, was in command that whole game yeah the, the strikeout numbers weren't high but 
I can't remember an instance or two where the Yankees made hard contact. And you're looking at a guy with just power, power right-handed stuff. You're talking a fastball up to 98 miles an hour. Uh, he threw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in the eighth inning. Hmm. Um, but the, the pitch for him that, that has sort of you know taken him to the next level over these last couple starts and, and really throughout this season is the cut fastball. It's something that he started to use uh, a couple of years ago. He got rid of his changeup and he went to a cut fastball. Uh, it's a pitch that's late movement coming in at 93, 94 miles an hour and you're just not taking your good game bats up to the plate with you because you're going to break them. He's <laughs> coming in on lefties. He's going away from righties. Uh, and like he said after the game, it's something to keep guys off of my fastball. It's that little change in timing. You know, Even if it's just four or five miles an hour, that little change in timing and that little change in location that's so late, um, it just force weak contact from the Yankees all day long. Um the only run they got was off Craig Kimberl in the ninth, who had his problems again in a non-safe situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Uvalde, in two starts now, 15 scoreless innings. The last Red Sox pitcher to do that uh, was Billy Rohr in 1967. Wow. He threw 16 scoreless innings right. in his first uh, two appearances with the club. So, you know, that looks like a, a very astute pickup right now by Dave Dombrowski at the trade deadline. Absolutely. I actually, you know, that pickup and Steve Pierce uh, has worked out great, and Pierce well, delivered. Let's, let's go back to Thursday. Yeah, Thursday night Pierce. was, uh, you know, uh, so the Red the Red Sox fall behind early in that game, three nothing or four nothing. I forget what it was. Four nothing. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think as a Red Sox, uh, you know, as Red Sox fans, um, you know, probably uh, were aware Chris Sale did not throw that game because he was on the DL that that would have been his start so there was probably a sense of well you know we don't have Chris Sale this is a game they'll they'll probably lose especially you know falling into that early hole but boy it didn't take long for that just turn turn into a laugher no on paper that was probably the most lopsided pitching matchup you had Brian Johnson against CC Sabathia right. Johnson and, and Sabathia has always been tough against the Sox well right Johnson has thrown the ball well that's not to take away from him that's to say how good Sabathia has right. been against Boston right uh, his previous seven starts against Boston, he was 6-0 and with a 1.83 ERA. He didn't make it into the fourth inning. Threw 77 pitches through three innings. It was a very hot night. Sabathia is a little older. He's not in the greatest shape. The Yankees opted to go to the bullpen right away. They went to Jonathan Holder in the fourth inning. And the Red Sox put up eight runs in the fourth just teed off yeah. on Jonathan Holder and it started with Steve Pierce. He homered against Sabathia and then in the fourth got a hanging slider from Holder and hit it on the Lansdowne Street to make it a 6-4 game. The Red Sox never looked back from there. It, it was it was very impressive uh, to see just the at-bats, how locked in they were, the damage they were able to do and for Steve Pierce to have his first career three home run game to become the third Red Sox player all time to hit three home runs against the Yankees, joining Kevin Millar and Mo Vaughn. Um, just a guy who has fit in perfectly into this team, both in performance and in personality. Absolutely, and it looks like it's it's been a it's been a great pickup. And then he comes back the next day and hits another home run, I believe. Hit another home run and off uh, Severino on Friday. Luis yeah. Severino. Uh, so, um, looking back now, the Red Sox outscored, if my math is correct here, outscored the Yankees twenty-eight to thirteen over the weekend. And uh, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was just my quick, uh, oh, quick and dirty math. Okay. So, but uh, certainly nothing that I would have um, 
uh, expected, you know, even a, a split would have been, you know, if you're oh, a Red Sox fan, you you would have said, well, if they split, then that's fine. They they don't lose anything. Even three to one, it's like, hey, they get to they they gain some ground. But you know, a four game sweep really puts, uh, you know, and let's not coronate car, the Red Sox quite yet. I mean, they still forty nine games to play, right. and and you know. I understand the Yankees weren't at full strength either. Judge is not in the lineup. Gary Sanchez still not in the lineup, although he, you know, he's not hitting great Sanchez this year. But um, you know, there's there's still time for the Red Sox to go through a cold spell and, and the Yankees to get super hot. But when you look at nine games with you know less than fifty games to play, when you have a nine game lead, the mat doesn't the mat doesn't work for you very well. First, to go back to the talk of the sweep, yeah, we discussed that on the podcast last week, and we both dismissed it out of hand. Right? Oh, that's that just wasn't going to happen because it never happens with these teams. Never right? happens. Yeah. Neither team was going to sweep this series. The Red Sox had swept two four game series against the Yankees since nineteen ninety. Wow. So it, it certainly right. wasn't going to happen again. Right. Um, certainly not with the Yankees needing at least a couple of these games so badly. Yeah. Because like you said, the math is very difficult now. If you're the Red Sox, you have 49 games left going into this series with Toronto uh, beginning on Tuesday night. If you go 500 the rest of the way, you're 25 and 24. The Yankees would have to go 35 and 16 over the last 51 just to tie you. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I would say that it's more likely the Yankees could go uh, that 35, 35 and 16, and 16. Then, the, then the Red Sox going 500 just because the Red Sox have been playing at such an unbelievable clip all season. Right, and you look at what the Red Sox are poised to get back off the DL here over the next week or two. Right. Um, you could look at Raphael Devers coming back, Chris Sale coming back, Ian Kinsler coming back, Blake Swihart coming back. So the Red Sox are going to get healthy here in short order, and the fact that they've been able to go along so well even without those guys, it just tells you what kind of role they're on and what kind of confidence they have right now. So speaking of guys coming off the DL, let's let's hit that uh, for a minute here. Uh, Chris Sale, I think, is is the first question that most people have. Sure. What are we hearing about Chris Sale? Uh, Chris Sale was supposed to throw a bullpen in Toronto either Monday or Tuesday, uh, and is expected to make his next start at Baltimore uh, probably on the Saturday, I would guess, because that's a, a day with a doubleheader. Um, in Sale's case. It's okay if he skips a couple turns through the rotation. You have a nine-game lead, right. and you're talking about keeping him fresh into September. It's probably November. what the Red Sox would sort of secretly want here, that, that uh, he takes a breather going down the stretch because you really need him to be uh, at full strength come October. Absolutely. And, you know, why take a risk? At this point, you're right. up nine. Games. You're up nine games, right? Do you, do you really? And the to... last and the last time you missed a start, you won fifteen to seven. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, do you really need to force him out there against the Blue Jays? And and the other point that Alex Cora made uh, after the game on Sunday was, if Sale starts against the Blue Jays, he probably ends up starting against the Phillies next week. Okay. Which means in an interleague game in a National League park, oh, yeah, it doesn't Sale have, to have to hit. Yeah. And Cora was very apprehensive about having Sale. Anywhere near the batter's box, swinging it all, running the bases at all. They're, they're basically putting this guy into like one of those cardboard boxes that says fragile <laughs> right, on it. Right. Uh, because they understand how important he is for the long term. And the position that they've put themselves in now, they can sort of start thinking right. 
toward those long terms. I saw playoff projections uh, earlier today from Fangraphs for the American League. They have the Red Sox with a 100% chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> so there's not even a chance that they don't make the not playoffs. Not even a chance that they don't make uh, you know, They have four American League teams with 99.7% chances or better. Okay. The Red Sox are at the top of that right. list. Got to be the Ast- Astros, Houston, Yankees, and, and New yeah. York. Right, right. Are the other three. Um, but I, I think for all the folks who say, you know, we're worried about sale declining in August and September and not having its best in October. Uh, I think an abundance of caution is certainly prudent from the Red Sox organization, and I don't mind the decisions they've made to this point. No, it makes sense, although I, I, I guess that Chris Sale probably is not uh, thrilled with it because he's such a gamer, and you know, sort of like Pedroia, you, you have to save him from himself sometimes. In, but In fact, Cora was asked that question yeah. Thursday night uh, when Sale was scratched and the Yankees had a 4 nothing lead. Someone asked him what was Sale like in the dugout, and he said, Sale standing there saying, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is going on. He's like a caged animal. In right, there. right. Uh, That's know, his, that was his to game out. to go out that there and win. That was his game. Right? That's right. And you could see uh, Friday night, and yeah. uh, the theatrics went down in the first inning uh, on Friday night, the uh, sort of bean balls and warnings and... Yeah, the heat got turned up a little bit. When Pierce hit the two-run homer off Luis Severino, Chris Sale was on the top step of the dugout giving it to the Yankees pitcher hard. Wow. Wow. It was – you got the sense of – the moment and and what that means, you know, these guys say, "Oh, it's just one on one sixty two. Sale is all not in. a big deal. Right. No, no, not for that guy, and, yeah. and not for Friday. That was a different feeling once that stuff happened in the first. Uh, so let's take a quick look at the other folks on the uh, DL and where they stand. Uh, how how about uh, Ian Kinsler? Ian Kinsler, I'll wrap him in with Blake Swihart as well. Okay. Uh, they're both battling hamstring strains. Um, both stayed home. On the trip from Toronto, both are expected to join the team in Baltimore and likely be activated from the disabled list this weekend. Uh, they, they feel good short-term about both of those guys just serving the minimum 10 days. Uh, Raphael Devers. Raphael Devers rehabbed uh, in Lowell on Monday night, actually went one for four, hit a home run, uh, made, a, made an error on his only chance in the field, which you know, could, have, could be expected. He's rusty. It's only on the field a couple times with the Red Sox over mm-hmm. the last two weeks. Uh, he was expected to travel to Toronto either Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, and if he can go through a full baseball workout with the Red Sox, will probably be activated off the DL uh, by the end of the series with the Blue Jays. And uh, the last two I think that uh, people would care about the most are both starting pitchers, or both pitchers anyway. One is Stephen Wright and one is Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, how close are they to returning? I don't think Stephen Wright is, is anywhere close. Uh, you know, hasn't thrown off a mound, hasn't resumed a normal throwing program. Eduardo Rodriguez is is coming back probably quicker than they anticipated. Uh, threw a bullpen on the field on Sunday, twenty five to thirty pitches uh, with Devers in the box against him, just tracking pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, said afterwards, he he threw everything, uh, everything in his arsenal. Felt good. Um, obviously, it's going to take some time to build up if he wants to be a starter. But one interesting thing that Rodriguez said was he would like to come back as a starter, but he's willing to go to the bullpen for the postseason if they ask him to do so. Which they may, and, and we talked about may. that, and that it might be a nice weapon to have a uh, a strong left-handed arm coming out of the bullpen, which is something that they, they really haven't had here. Uh, uh, this uh, this season. Uh, so, uh, speaking of starting rotations, um, 
Drew Pomerantz takes the mound tonight for the Red Sox up in Toronto. And the the feeling is that, you know, he's sort of pitching for his job at this point, isn't he? Well, it's a little bit of a numbers game now when you look at it. Uh, This rotation, certainly, if you're going to take your your first four or five, Chris Sale's certainly going to be in it. Rick Porcello's certainly going to be in it. David Price is certainly going to be in it. You can't take Nathan Uvalde out of it no. after the two outings no he's had. Yeah. And so that last spot is between Eduardo Rodriguez when he gets healthy, Drew Pomeranz, and Brian Johnson. And if Pomeranz continues to be less effective than Johnson, it's a very easy choice with Rodriguez on the DL. You have to go to Johnson. You, you just have to. And you know, he struggled a little bit the other night against the Yankees. Obviously, he gave up a home run. He gave up two home runs, actually, to uh, Didi Gregorius. Um, you know, was down early, uh, but actually gave the Red Sox a chance over the last three innings and has proven to be a guy who works quickly. Guys like playing behind him because he works quickly, right. throws strikes. Um, he's got a little bit of presence on the mound in terms of, you know, being able to work in and out and up and down and, and sort of force contact for opposing hitters. He's not. He's never going to strike a lot of guys out, although he did have 11 the other night against New York, which right. was a career high. Um, but probably a little more consistent option than Pomerantz. Uh, probably doesn't have as high a ceiling as Pomerantz. If you look at his last 25 outings last year, Pomerantz was excellent. He was this team's number two starter. Uh, had a 2.84 ERA in, in that span, which is really good right. by starting pitching standards. Um but you're getting to a point where you're running out of time. And, and if you're going to activate Rodriguez off the DL, if he's built up to start, you just can't take these outings where guys go out there and go four and a third, four and two thirds, give up four runs. That's that's just not going to cut it going forward. Right, right. Um, and yeah, you are running out of time also because, um, you know, um, there may, may not be enough opportunities for him to get out there and throw in a live game situation right. uh, as, as we're wrapping up sort of the Paw Sox season here and, and the other uh, minor leagues. Um, so looking ahead, the uh, Red Sox embark on a road trip where they go to Toronto uh, for three games. Three games. Uh, Baltimore for the weekend. Yes. And, and then out to Philly for two games, right? Correct. Um, so, um, you know, the first part of that road trip obviously should not be too taxing for them. Toronto and Baltimore, uh, both struggling this year. Philadelphia, obviously, will be uh, will be a good team. Uh, and then they come back the following weekend. Um, looking ahead, Bill, what do you think the Red Sox um, strategy here is? Are they going to sort of take the uh, take the the foot off the gas a little bit with a nine-game lead, try and get some some extra rest for some guys? Do they still go full bore until they, they clinch what they want to clinch? Um, you know, nine games is, is, um, is such a cushion that it gives you some options. I think the, the good thing for the Red Sox is they might not have to make those decisions. The schedule will help them hmm. because they have scheduled off days in August here. Uh, next Monday they're off. Next Thursday they're off. Those are the two days around the Phillies series. Um, you know, so you're looking at situations where Alex Cora is going to be able to rest either his field players, uh, set up his starting rotation, maybe push them all back a day, push them all back two days. Mm. If, if he wants to use Johnson and Pomeranz, he could go to six-man rotation right, at some right. point. Uh, use that seventh day as an off day and get Porcello two extra days of rest and Price two extra days of rest and Yavaldi two extra days of rest. And I think that's got great value going forward. And, mm. and I'm interested to see 
what they might do uh, in terms of if they skip any guys at the back end. I, I think that's the telling point in how much urgency they have here in August. If they decide once Sale comes off the DL that they're going to skip a Pomeran start because they have an off day and then start Sale, um, you know that's going to tell you where they're at in terms of their mentality. Uh, but generally, I expect them to just keep going the way they have hmm. to this point. Cora has rested position players. He's given starting pitchers an extra day or two. He's you know sort of been pretty judicious about the way he uses the bullpen and. It's working. They're 45 games over. I, I, I just don't necessarily see them going off on a tangent, maybe, yeah. philosophically. I, I just think they're going to stick with what works, and I think they're going to have a lot more options here once a few of these guys come off the DL. Yeah. Well, it's certainly been working for them, uh, you know, 79 and 34 uh, uh, in early August is really a remarkable uh, and historic run, as uh, Bill, Bill Reynolds wrote in today's Providence Journal. Uh, you know, this team's on pace to win 113 games and just... You know, obviously, the proving ground here is in October, but uh, so far, uh, you can't really find too much, uh, too many faults with with the Red Sox. Uh, before we wrap up here, though, I just want to touch upon uh, this weekend in Baltimore, where they will be playing a doubleheader right. on, I want to say, Saturday. Correct. Uh, because of a game that was called uh, for rain earlier in the season, and... Uh, you know, I, I misspoke when we did that podcast. I thought they would just pick up the the, uh, the game where they left off, and that's not what happens. No, they don't do suspended games. They start over from the beginning, and you had an angry group of Red Sox that night in Baltimore. Uh, it was, they had a 5 nothing lead. Uh, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, and Andrew Benintendi had all hit home runs. David Price looked very sharp in the one inning he pitched. Mm-hmm. And you have to believe the way the Red Sox have played to this point, they were not going to blow a 5 nothing lead to the Orioles. Right. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, so you put that game in their pocket, they're 80 and 34. Yeah. Um, now, instead, they have a four-game series with the Orioles, uh, a day-night doubleheader on Saturday at Camden Yards, a separate admission. Uh, and realistically, if they go into that series and only take two out of four, or three out of four, they might be looking and saying, "We should have already had that one game we lost." Right, and, and it's you know, despite you know being the Orioles, who are, you know who obviously are horrendous this year, it's it's not easy sweeping a, a team four games. I mean, the first I just did it to the Yankees, but it's very rare. And going in there, uh, you know, uh, if they had had that one win in the pocket, um, you know, uh, certainly I think would have would have helped. Although you know, they're still. 79 and 34 so it sounds like you know a millionaire uh, bitching about uh, you know uh, saving ten dollars or something but still you know it's an extra game that they probably a lot, a lot of the players probably think they didn't they don't have to play they shouldn't have had to play well and and you know let's be realistic about this all right toronto traded four relievers before the trade deadline yeah toronto is still going to bring in relief pitchers at some point over these next three nights who will get out because they're in the major leagues. Right. These guys are really good. It's right. just degrees of good. Yeah. You know, Mookie Betts is better than player X or player Y. But player X or player Y could still go four for four on a given night. Right. Um, you know, the Red Sox go into Baltimore and they hammered Dylan Bundy that night. They had three home runs off him. They had five runs in, in an inning and, you know, Bundy probably wasn't going to get, he probably wasn't going to get out of the fourth. Right. A start against them earlier this year, I think he went seven or eight scoreless hmm. at Camden Yards. Yeah. On his day, he could certainly shut them down. And, and that's, I think that's the one thing that, that you know, a lot of folks miss, and the players have a different perspective on it because they're the ones actually out there playing. They know that these other guys are, are good. 
They're maybe not as good. You know, they, Baltimore doesn't have a pitcher as good as Chris Sale. It, it, we we know that. You know, on its face, sure. it's, it's obvious. Yeah. But they still might have a guy who can go out there on a, on his given night and shut down the Red Sox or any other team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest source of their frustration. It was the rain delays over the weekend and the fact that you know the situation wasn't handled well in terms of the delays and the grounds crew and the umpiring crew in Baltimore. Yeah. But most importantly, that they had a 5 nothing lead on a team who they probably were going to beat right. in that game. And now they're going to be forced to play a game where, just like any other time they go out there, the outcome's uncertain sure. from the beginning. Yeah, I and mean, you give up the advantage that, that you work to get. So. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, so with that, uh, we will wrap up this edition of the Twin Bills podcast. Uh, Bill Koch is off to uh, Baltimore in a couple of days uh, to rejoin the team there. And uh, we will do this again next week. Thanks again, Bill. Thanks, Bill.